This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Health records can be a rich source of data that can help provide an understanding of a rare disease and drive the development of therapies to treat them. But the siloing of this data, the use of inconsistent terminology, and the unstructured nature of aspects of these records all stand as barriers to harnessing their potential. The consumer health technology company Citizen is working to give patients greater control over their own health data and enable its sharing with researchers and providers. We spoke to Nasha Fitter, Vice President of Rare Disease for Citizen, about her own experience as a mother of a child with a rare neurologic condition, her work as a rare disease advocate, and a collaboration between a group of rare neurological disease advocacy organizations to build a natural history study on the Citizen platform. Nasha, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk about Citizen and its healthcare technology platform and the potential to leverage the data available in electronic health records to drive faster diagnosis and new treatments for rare diseases. Listeners, though, may know you through your work with the Fox G1 Research Foundation, which you co-founded. You became involved in the world of rare disease after your daughter began having seizures. What happened and how was she diagnosed? So luckily, actually, the fact that she started having seizures got the diagnosis much faster. So, um, you know, she was diagnosed through the epilepsy panel from GeneDx, and we found that she had a FOXG1 mutation about three months after she started having seizures. And we always think that if she hadn't had those seizures, it would have taken us years to get to a diagnosis because she would have just had an intellectual disability um, and we wouldn't have been even offered the ability to get genetic testing. What were you told about FOXG1 at the time she was diagnosed? Well, interestingly, I was told not to go online, (laughs) that it would scare me. (laughs) Um, So, uh, you know, what I was told is that, look, it affects gross motor, fine motor communication. Most children don't walk, they don't talk, they eat with a feeding tube, they have hundreds of seizures a day, uh, movement disorders. So my my first kind of information overload was just, God, life is over, right? Like what, what can I, what can I even do here? Um, And so I learned kind of going forward that there is a spectrum. There's many things that we can do, but that was my first and, you know, information overload. And I think it's what most parents receive. How well understood is the condition today and, and how does it manifest itself and progress? 
So it's not understood. And that's why I've become so incredibly passionate about the need for data and to make that data accessible because there's just not much known about FOXG1 syndrome. There is a limited number of patients. There has been a few research reports published, but it's always, you know, a very small number. And again, it's a spectrum like most diseases and we need more data. We need more information on more patients to, to really get a sense of like, how does this disease manifest and especially over time. And what was the decision you made when you decided to launch the Fox G1 Research Foundation? You know, it was simply that we need to accelerate finding a cure. And everything I had learned is that if you want something done in a rare disease, you've got to get together with a group of other parents or patients and do it yourself because no one will care unless you care. So that it really even wasn't a decision. I don't think I even had a choice. It was just something we had to do. The Fox G1 Research Foundation, in my mind, has a very clear strategy and is rather methodical in the way it goes about things. What's the approach it's been taking? You know, that has actually been our number one approach um, is to be very strategic and very clear on what we're doing and why we're doing it, because we get flooded with research requests from different scientists. And unless we really know what is absolutely necessary, you can start funding projects that may not necessarily help you get to your end goal. So I, you know, what we did is we spoke to biotechnology companies and biopharma to understand what does it take to get a drug literally developed in, in our children in a way that's safe. And with that understanding, then we were able to work backwards on what are the different steps that are necessary for us to do to get to that point. And we're very ruthless with that. We just don't do anything if it doesn't fit in that paradigm. It seems to me a lot of the thinking that, that's driven your approach has been to de-risk drug development so that companies would come into the space. It's, how have you gone about doing that? Yeah, and that's, that's what it's all about. And it's, it's hard and it's expensive. Um, and so de-risking means understanding the disease. Companies don't want to spend endless amounts of money on a disease that is not well understood. So to understand a disease, you kind of look at it on a forked approach. One is to understand it from a biological perspective, biological pathways, and that's where you need to know, you know, what are the non-human ways that you can model a disease, animal models, stem cell models, et cetera. And then on the flip side is how can we document what children or patients are going through in a very, very systematic way? And then with that combination, and, you know, with some proof of concepts, you've hopefully de-risked it enough for someone to, to invest, you know, millions of dollars to develop a drug. In, in that context, how did you come to view the need to gather data and, and the role it would play in the process? Yeah, so I was very lucky that early on, um, you know, one of our SAB members who runs a biotech company told me that, look, if there's one thing you do conduct a natural history study. That is something that is really difficult for biopharma to do. It's hard for biotech companies to really access patients and contact patients, but as an advocacy group, we can do that. And so I, I took that to heart and really plunged into how do we collect very good data? And there was mistakes we made along the way. You know, we started a registry and we created our own survey. And then later I learned that, look, if it's not an FDA validated survey, that information is useful internally, but, you know, won't be taken seriously. And so 
we kind of had to start over, get validated surveys, and then we're lucky to be on the citizen platform where we can get rich clinical data, which is really what moves the needle. Today, in addition to your role as CEO of Fox G1, you also serve as the Director of Rare Neurological Diseases for Citizen. The Fox G1 Research Foundation received a $500,000 grant from Chan Zuckerberg Initiative to allow groups like yours to use machine learning to help accelerate rare disease drug development. This has funded a digital natural history program that Fox G1 syndrome launched with three other rare neurological disease groups in partnership with Citizen. Let's start with Citizen though. What is Citizen for people who are not familiar with the company? What's the problem it's trying to solve? Yeah, so the problem Citizen is trying to solve is can we create an accessible platform where patients can access their own medical records? So your raw medical records, your MRIs, all of that. And then can patients share it easily with whoever they want? It's totally in the patient's control. And then can we use those raw medical records to extract relevant information to create natural histories, you know, sets of data that can then again be shared very freely and easily with researchers, you know, academic or biotech. And I would say that, you know, the problems we're really trying to solve, that's kind of what it does. The problems are getting second opinions quickly for patients, getting matched to clinical trials, and further developing natural history studies for rare groups and and larger groups. How are the various organizations working together on the digital natural history study and What does it ultimately seek to do? So, yes, you know, I could not have done this without our pilot groups, um, the Syngap Research Fund and um, Test Research Foundation. We really came together to figure out how can we utilize this platform? So Citizen started in the oncology space due to our founder's own personal story of losing his sister to um, metastatic breast cancer. And I really felt that this platform is the future for rare diseases because we need this deep clinical data and we need it fast. We can't wait, you know, three to five years to collect rich natural um, history data from in-person studies. So I just felt like it, it was perfect for the problem that we have in rare diseases. And it was really Test Research Foundation and Syngap that joined us, Fox G1 Research. And thankfully, you know, CZI believed in us and gave us the grant to do this work to actually have the first cohorts come onto the platform, sign up, patients trusted us, we've collected their medical records, and we're now in the process of extracting information and creating these rich studies. And, you know, Syngap Research Fund, they will have a rich natural history study data on 100 patients in six months. I mean, that's just never been done before in the rare disease space. And there's already a plethora of researchers that are utilizing this data. So I'm I'm excited that this year we can really showcase how this platform is a game, a game changer for groups like ours. Have you learned anything in the process of doing this about gathering data and improving the way it's done? You know, I think Citizen has completely gotten down how do we collect data quickly. The most challenging part that I didn't realize that I've learned is actually getting patients to come onto the platform. So you have your early adopters who are really, you know, invested in research and will come on. But we have a chance with platforms like this that we can get our entire communities on. But it's it's really 
you know, the, I think if I could say anything is that, look, all, you know, all caregivers and patients have to understand this is a community effort in rare diseases. You cannot hope that someone else is going to come and solve your problem. This isn't breast cancer. So you, we, everyone has to do their bit. And that means joining studies such as these. Um, so we can collect a really large cohort of data as large as possible um, to do a really um, rich study. Is there any insight you've gotten into the resistance of patients to participate? I think this is a new innovative method. People haven't heard about it before. So there is a lot of education that's necessary. And then rare disease families are busy. They're exhausted. They think, oh, is this one more study that I have to do? Will it go anywhere? Will it, re- will, will it result in anything? There's a lot of just apathy to do things, which is completely understandable. But unfortunately, we have to, we have to work through that apathy to get something done. Um, but that, that's, what we're, that's what we're hearing and seeing. Because Citizen is actually pulling data from electronic health records, uh, how does the burden of participation compare to a, a more typical natural history study? Oh, I mean, it's a light and day, you know, night and day difference. Um, here, all patients have to do is come onto a platform, get some of their documentation, like their child's birth certificates, et cetera, um, you know, take a picture of them so, so we have it versus an in-person study where you're having to get your child in a car, your special needs child in a car, drive to an academic center, spend half a day there. Um, You may not live near a center. You may have to fly to a center. You have to take days off work. So it's a, it's a huge difference in terms of time burden, but I think, you know, many people are wary of technology, right? They're wary of data and privacy. And these are, these are important questions. um, And there's a lot of education that's necessary. At the same time, how is the quality of the information that can be gleaned from electronic health records relative to the typical surveys that are make up a natural history study? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, one of the benefits of a platform like Citizen is we can go back and collect 10 years of data. So you're looking at 10 years of really rich natural history data because everything is collected. Every progress report, every you know, clinical note, every MRI, every EEG report. And so we're able to piece together really what is that kind of continuum and truly the natural history of these patients. There's not a lot of holes in the data because most patients have been seeing their neurologists or specialists in a very consecutive way in order to get services. So we're able to actually pull a very, very large and deep amount of data. And then also we can normalize it because a physician in one institution may, you know, term something differently. I I learned myself that there's 40 different ways you could say heart attack. So kind of that normalization is also something that's very valuable and our goal is to look at data at the aggregate level. Now there is still a role for in-person studies and in-person visits because you can, you can ask further questions. And so I'm really excited about, hey, if there's things that we want to further ask patients, can we use technology? Can we do video interviews? Can other other ways that we can gather data without a patient having to necessarily go into a, a center? So for me, the citizen, you know, the data can either supplement a current in-person study, or it could be a study in itself. It strikes me the other thing that that's possible here is 
you normally think of groups doing these types of studies in isolation, you've got four groups focused on different neurological conditions working together here. Is the expectation that insights gleaned from one will help elucidate the other? Yes, exactly. We learn so much and, you know, there's a lot we have in common and then there's differences. And that's, that's really been the, the eye opener that <laughs> there is so much in common so we can scale faster through neurodevelopmental disorders. And then there's a few things that are different that we're learning that are very helpful to understand how these diseases differ from each other. But absolutely. And, and that's why even when we wrote the grant, um, you know, our foundation, we wanted to include a few different groups that were similar in some ways, but also quite different in the types of genes located on different chromosomes, et cetera. Um, so we could really build something that was holistic. You mentioned the challenges of getting uh, patients to participate in the, the natural history study. What control do patients have over their data and how it's used? And what's the incentive for them to make use of the citizen platform? Yeah, so they have complete and total control of their medical records, as well as where the extracted data goes. So patients, it's a completely patient-centric platform. Patients consent, yes, I want to share my data with academic and biopharma researchers, or I don't, or I just want to be contacted on a study-by-study -study basis. It is completely up to the patient, and they can pull their consent at a later date as well. So it is very much a, a patient um, you know, directed platform. The other thing that sometimes I think gets underlooked is normally when you have biopharma that are creating these natural history studies, they do them individually. So you'll have, you know, company A doing a study for, I'm just going to make up a disease group, like, you know, SCN2A patients, and then company B may do a similar study. So you've got a very small patient pool to begin with, and then they have to enroll in two separate studies. That's what we're trying to break away from, that look, we'll just gather this data, put it on one platform, and then however many companies want to access the data can do so. It's not owned by any one company or any one academic institution. As a matter of disclosure for listeners, I perform work for the collaborative data sharing platform, RareX. Listeners can hear a discussion you and I recently had along with Vanessa Vogel-Farley about uh, a partnership that Citizen Rare X recently entered into. While I have you though, what will that partnership do and what does that mean for rare disease patients looking to drive research into their conditions? Yeah, so the, you know, the future, how we're thinking is how do we just accelerate accelerate, accelerate, getting all this rich information. And RareX is amazing because they have really thought through very carefully, what are the right survey questions that caregivers and patients should take? So this is kind of a distinction that there, there's some confusion over. There's two types of data. There's something called a PRO, which is patient reported outcome. That's like a survey that we fill. And then there's clinical clinician reported outcomes, which is information that we glean from a medical record. So there are two types of data. And why the partnership with RareX is so powerful 
is we're able to combine both of those expertise. So information data that's gleaned from PROs and then information that is gleaned from electronic medical records. And one of the things I, I love about RareX is they kind of realize that no one platform is gonna own everything and be great at everything. And the idea here is, look, we have our expertise, but the only way we're gonna accelerate rare disease is if we can open these pipelines. So RareX may work with other companies like Citizen and we may work with other organizations like RareX and that is fine. It's up to the patient where they want to go or the advocacy group. And the goal is our platform should really talk to one another. So as you think about the new ways that information technology is enabling people to gather and share information about rare diseases, how do you see this ultimately altering the landscape for patients? I think this is going to be one of the biggest game changers that we will see in our lifetime because over the next 10 years, we will see a movement, a massive movement towards precision medicine. And that will only work if there's very granular information on a per patient basis. So very granular genetic, genomic information, as well as very granular clinical information that also can be compared to other cohorts. So I see the future of medicine very differently than how it is now. I see treatments that are going to be much more effective. We're going to see better treatments. We're going to see more transformational treatments. Um, and none of that is going to be possible without rich data easily accessible by everyone in the spectrum. Nasha Fitter, co-founder and CEO of Fox G1 Research Foundation and director of rare neurological diseases for Citizen. Nasha, thanks as always. Thank you so much for having me on this so important topic. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.